What I'd like to share with us today, I'm calling Body, Soul and Spirit Awareness. And God uses the number three to depict his wonderful creative design in many things in the Bible. The number three speaks of perfect order and design and perfect unity and function. We see this in the three-in-one trinity of Father, Son and Holy Spirit, symbolised in the Bible in the order of, of our cosmos, the sun, the moon and the stars, perfect order. We see it in Noah's Ark of Salvation, in the upper and the middle and the lower decks. We see it in the eternal expression of his nature in faith and hope and love. And today we'll be looking at his perfect design of humanity in body and soul and spirit. The awareness that we can have that God is, has designed something and he's going to bring order and function and unity. And I'm going to read a scripture from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So he will do it. But we've been invited, we've been called to agree with him in that work being done in our being, spirit, soul and body. That scripture starts off saying, may the God of peace himself, that means oneness, Irene, the Greek word for peace, oneness, harmonising, bringing things together. Sanctify you. That means setting you apart. It means repurposing us, redesignating us, wearing the jersey. You've been set apart to be part of what I'm doing. That's what God is saying. That's what sanctifying is. I've got things to do and I'm inviting you into that, setting you apart. And it says, uh, I'll do that completely so that you reach the goal, press towards that goal. And your spirit and soul and body will be kept blameless. And he who invites you or calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So that's a great prayer. And it's a great promise about what God wants to do in us. So I'm going to go back to human creation and see how God formed man spirit, soul and body. God started with the body. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's the body. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit life. And man became a living soul. And the soul or the inner life had to become formed it becomes a living soul formed in character throughout a person's life. Now, in the generations that follow Adam and Eve, God doesn't take a bit of dust and breathe spirit into each person, right? That body that he formed in Adam gets passed on in seed and egg form into a mother, along with what you might call a latent soul, a potential 
inner life, the thinking, feeling, determining inner life that's going to be formed one way or another in that little life. Now, the spirit is created in the image of God and bequeathed to each individual life. He breathed spirit into Adam. And the Bible says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And each one of us is created in the image of God, totally individually, uniquely. And that spirit, that human spirit is there, which becomes our identity, who we are. And it's designated in each person in the days in which we live since Jesus came, that spirit is designated to be joined to God's spirit. So now let's look at the body in particular. How aware are we of our body? Your body just functions. You don't have to tell it, sort out the blood pressure. It'll do it for you. The body will do many, many things just automatically or autonomously. Autonomically, they call it. And so we can tend not to notice the body. It just does what it does. But you do notice the body very distinctly when you've got pain, when you're sick. All of a sudden you realise, I've got a body and I've got problems. So this body needs to come to a place of awareness for us. Now, right throughout history, all cultures have always understood that there is an outer life of bodily activities and an inner life of thinking and feeling and choosing. And these were distinct, and yet somehow they merged together and affected each other. Inner thoughts and feelings affect bodily sensations. Bodily sensations affect inner feelings and decisions. Only the scriptures speak with authority about this truth concerning the harmony of our whole being as God's creation. With Jesus, a human body was passed on because he had to have a body from somewhere. It wasn't from the dust of the earth. That happened with Adam. A human body was passed on through his mother. He got his body from mum. But the seed of spiritual life came directly from heaven. And a perfect human soul was formed by his loving obedience to his father. So can you see body, soul and spirit? Spirit from heaven, the body from the one that the Lord had set aside and the soul began to be formed perfectly. A perfect pattern for our new creation life. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, it says, When Christ came into the world, he said, A body you've prepared for me. Already know. For I have come to do your will, O God. That's how important the body is. Jesus didn't come just to know the will of God in his inner life and feel the holiness and sanctification of that. He came to do the will of God in his body. We read in Mark chapter 1, Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. It was a leper who'd said, are you willing to cleanse me and heal me? And Jesus said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. It's interesting the description of the, the body and the soul and the spirit there with Jesus. He was moved with compassion. And that word compassion in the Greek, splagnon, means spleen. 
He felt it in his body. And then he put out his hands and touched and there was healing. There you've got body, soul and spirit. Now Christianity also pays vital attention to the significance of the body in relationship to being and doing, serving God and one another in the will of God. Paul says the way to serve God and worship him is to let our bodies express his good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's in Romans chapter 12. Here's the body for you, Lord. And Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live in the Son of God by faith. That's in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to have a little look at each one of these as an overview, and then we'll see how they operate in our new creation life. We're just looking at the humanity here. The soul in the Greek is psyche, where we get the word psychologist and whatever other words psyche is attached to. As I said about the body, we're often not terribly aware of the body unless it tells us, you'd better be aware of me, I need some attention. But the soul, oh yeah, I think we're very aware of the soul. Every single moment of the day. What's that anxious thought? What's that problem? What's going on? Why am I feeling this? Why am I thinking that? The soul is the will, the emotions and the mind. And it's created in a potential form in each individual to form the character of the soul. We learn to bring that into an ordered life. Our soul suffers throughout life because it's a challenging journey. This character formation, have you noticed that? Not being able to say no, not being able to say yes, not knowing why. The will and the thoughts and the emotions, which are the soul, link to the body through bodily sensations, just like Jesus in healing that leper. But when we choose to bring awareness to the fact that our body is being affected, by what's happening in our inner life, that's a good thing to understand. Now just consider in your own lives, in your own experience, how much your emotionally charged thoughts and stresses impact the state of your body. And think about how the stresses upon your body affect the state of your soul in your thoughts and emotions and your will. It's going on all the time. Why is it that we get so tired around four o'clock in the afternoon? Depending on how old you are, perhaps. <laughs> two o'clock? Or I've got two, anybody? <laughs> anybody got one o'clock? Okay. Now, Jesus spoke about the weariness of the suffering soul and the burdens that weigh it down. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Be yoked to me. And let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls and your bodies too. That's in Matthew chapter 11. So this suffering, it's created by humanity's mindset of separation from God. If it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have said, come to me, we'd already be there. The original missing of the mark, the original sin, when Adam and Eve chose to not trust God, but to do their own will, 
instead of being yoked with God in doing his will, together with him, led to that separation. It came from that separation and led to more of a mindset of separation. People feel adrift. But when we respond to Jesus' invitation of come to me, we embark on a lifetime journey for the soul. Things start to happen. A journey of the transformation and healing of the soul through the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter, chapter 1, Peter says, I want you to, to attain to the, the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. Sozo. The word actually means the healing of your soul. You know, the word salvation didn't arrive in the Bible till about the 13th century. Whitcliffe was doing the early translations. He spoke that scripture and he said, receiving the end of your faith, the health, H-E-E-L-T-H, the health of your soul. It was a Latin translation of the Greek of Sozo that ended up being called salvation. If you want to go to the pharmacy and buy an ointment for a sore hair, for a sore, for a wound, it used to be called a salve. Do you like a salve? That's salvation. <laughs> it's the healing. So salvation is the healing of the soul through the Holy Spirit. That's where our faith is going in this life. People think, oh no, that's about going to heaven. No, it's about living this life with a soul in formation, being formed. That's what's being done and that's what's being healed. A new way of living was not available in the Old Testament. There was no spirit of God dwelling within, joined to the human spirit. The only way that God could bring any change or healing to the soul, to Israel, was through the work of the law and the Ten Commandments. And it did a jolly good job, I tell you. David writes in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. He knew that if he got his life in order and was obedient and, and, and lived a life in his heart of intention, coming closer to God, he knew that things came into order and his soul was steady. He went through times of terrible depression. You should read them in Psalm 32, the things he cried out for, he just felt dreadful. Typical symptoms of severe depression, David had. His soul was copying him. But he came good when he said, oh, I delight in, in your law and in your commandments. Your statutes are good. And his soul got formed the best way it could in those days. Now the spirit, as I said, the body we can sometimes not be aware of, but we learn to get aware of it. The soul, we're always aware of, mostly, even if we're not aware of it, <laughs> it makes us aware. But the spirit, that's where we need to become aware. What's happening in our spirit? The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. It's our essential being. That's why people are on a desperate search these days in the world of, who am I? What's my identity? I'll join this group and I'll get special privileges if I join this group. Oh, this is me now. But it's a unique identity like a spiritual fingerprint that God's put on each person. It's the seed that contains the potential for our future temperament and gifting and personality. That's our spirit. It's God's original idea of who we are created to be. 
but we impose our flawed and deficient idea of who we are, our identity, upon our own soul. Those ideas come from what is reflected back to us usually from other people. Or as we grow and become uh, adventurous and exploring new things, we do our own imaging to our soul. That causes much suffering of the soul. It's not in God's order. See, we've been joined in our spirit. I'm, I'm leaping ahead now into the new covenant. We've been joined in our spirit to the spirit of life of a loving Father God through Jesus who heals our souls through the love that flows to us from the Holy Spirit unceasingly. Awareness, awareness, awareness. Jesus sowed his spirit life as a seed into humanity through his death and resurrection. And by the sending of the Holy Spirit from heaven came upon humanity into the earth on the day of Pentecost. A new beginning, a new spirit life. Now I want to touch on something that I think is just so vitally important. And it's the miracle of a word called reconciliation. It's a fairly common word, reconciliation in our language and in the scriptures. But I want to read this miracle Annunciation of it by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not charging their sins against them. And he's committed to us this word of reconciliation. So there's an element of what reconciliation means in this way that Paul gives it to us in its most powerful form. God in Christ and people in the world. The word used for reconciliation here is katalasso, which means a mutual changing of two different yet similar things into an entirely new entity. I invite you to look up Strong's Concordance if you've got one. But what I'm going to say now, I, I can only say once, but it's in the, in the notes, in the PDF file. I encourage you to look over it because it is something that I would love people to understand. Katalasso is a combination of two words. Kata and alasso. Kata denotes the qualities of intensity and of exceeding bigness, greatness, whatever. Kata, almost like universal. So we get the word the Catholic Church. It was the Catholica, Catholica, the universal, the one big thing, enormous. That's what it was, that's what it was called that. So that's the quality of intensity and exceeding greatness. A lasso means the mutual transformative exchange of two things to create a new thing. So that becomes a spiritual equation of katalasso. So you've got an equation A plus B plus a 
catalyst, something that acts upon A and B to mutually change them equals something brand new. That's the equation of that word. Now, what are the two things that Paul speaks about in that scripture? Number one, God in Christ plus humanity becomes a new creation. That's what Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. That's his equation of this miracle word of reconciliation. But what's the catalyst? God in Christ is there. Humanity is there. And what acts upon that is God's forgiveness, his love and his mercy. And that brings about a new creation. So what was changed? A plus B equals a new creation. So A gets changed. B gets changed. That's us. God gets changed. We get changed. And a new creation is formed forever, eternally. You think, well, you can't change God. Well, God decided he could. God became a human being. That's change. God in Christ. Never happened in history before. God in a human being, alive in a spirit from heaven. Plus good old humanity, we're always around. Then you've got love and forgiveness and you've got a new creation. Uh, what that new creation has to do is believe it, have faith in it and be committed to living as a new creation. That means a new spiritual identity. Who are we? This is something new that we are. But I've always had my human spirit. I know who I am. Well, I don't really, but I'm getting there. God says, that's okay. I've created you. <laughs> and you're in, your spirit, you're not quite able to get it. But this way, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you who you really are in Christ. And God was eternally changed from pure spirit being into a human spirit being in the incarnation of Jesus. And that'll never change. God is now a human being forever. Jesus Christ is God in heaven as the fullness of the Godhead bodily. What's happened to the Father and the Holy Spirit? This Father is still the Father, but Jesus is the one that is now representing the Godhead as a human being forever. And the Holy Spirit, who lived with Jesus for his whole life, lives in us as he did in Jesus. We'll get to that. Humanity was eternally changed from mere human being into God with us humanity. And our spirit, not in the soul, not in the body. We've got to put up with our body and we've got to form our soul in character. But our spirit has been changed. And that came because of the death and resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Now this is for all of humanity. God didn't say, look, I'm going to die and I'm going to do reconciliation for some but not others. No, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. But who's going to put their hand up and say thank you? So this, which is for all humanity, is waiting to be catalyzed by our faith into the new creation Christ in us, which becomes the expression of God's love and goodwill in the earth. Lead has been changed into gold, supernaturally. This is our salvation, the healing of our soul. 
because the soul now starts to get healed because we're a new spirit that is now informing the soul of the truth of who we are. And the soul says, thank you. Sometimes the soul says, too much. I'm running away from this. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, that's how you get it. Who are you and what's going on? I mean, what is going on in our body, soul and spirit? How are, where are we? What are people being told? Paul is the only one who makes clear the meaning of the word reconciliation and the supernatural miracle work of reconciliation upon humanity through Jesus. Unfortunately, the word reconciliation is not given its due in the scriptures. It is, I believe, uh, you can read anything in the word of reconciliation, any reconciliation scripture, and it's powerfully and beautifully written. I'm not saying it isn't powerful, but there is something that I would like to see energised to its full capacity. Reconciliation works like that in the way that you normally think of reconciliation. Two people are having a squabble, they've got to be reconciled. What's the equation? A plus B equals C. A, somebody that's offended. B, somebody else that's offended. <laughs> equals, the catalyst is mercy and forgiveness. And what's the new entity? A healed relationship. A beautiful relationship. So reconciliation works all the time. But here it is between God and humanity. Now the Apostle Peter uses the word long-suffering to convey the meaning of Paul's word reconciliation. And he unfolds it superbly, his word long-suffering, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering is the withholding of judgment on sin so as to allow time for the work of grace to bring about repentance. The long-suffering of God waits. In fact, Peter says later, the long-suffering of God is salvation. <laughs> it is like reconciliation. He's using the word long-suffering. Let me read to you from Peter, 2 Peter 3. God is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, a change of mindset. That word, not willing that any should perish, apolemi, means it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean dead. It doesn't say anything about going to hell. The word is used quite often in the scriptures and it means wasted, rendered useless and ruined. Perish. You'll see that in a tire that gets perished. Wasted, <laughs> rendered useless and ruined. That's what perish means. In other words, what a life is being wasted there. God's willing that none should perish but that all should come to a new mindset of what's going on. What is going on? Peter goes on to say this a few verses later. I think it's cute. <laughs> 2 Peter 3, this is a few, just a few verses, five verses later, he says, So be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, presented to the Lord blameless. Peter says, Be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now, a little aside, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. 
See, Paul was versed in Greek philosophy, metaphysics. Peter was preaching to the Jews, as was John, but John understood also these words like logos and unfolded them. And Peter says, some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Now, Peter saw that happening in amongst perhaps the Jewish community. So Paul and Peter see eye to eye in these things, two different mission fields. Okay, now let me try and relate to the relationship between body, soul and spirit, the order of it. So it's, it's necessary that we've got correct order in the relationship between body, soul and spirit for us to be whole and to function properly in both our inner and our outer life. Paul writes that God's order is for our spirit to lead and order our soul. Romans chapter 8, if you're led of the spirit, you're the children of God, and then you can, you can live that life. An ordered soul then leads the body into ordered behaviour. How have we been behaving lately? You know how you've been behaving? According to what's going on in your soul. Your mindset, your emotions, oh, your emotions, (laughs) and the willingness or the unwillingness. So it just makes sense that our spirit, as our essential being, should be the one that is the one that orders the other two in line, soul, then body. Paul goes on to say, Some people allow their bodily senses to control their souls in a disordered, self-gratifying way, which leads to wrong choices and bad behaviour. He writes that to the Corinthian church. He says, some of you are just um, bodily, a psychikos. You've got a bodily kind of spiritual life. Some of you are psychikos. You've got a soulish spiritual life. Some of you are pneumatikos. You've got a spiritual, spiritual life. He, He works it all out for them. Paul said, I discipline my body and keep it under control. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 9. See, our soul sits between the body and the spirit. Now, just think about that for a minute. Our soul sits between the body and the spirit. And the soul receives information from both our body and our spirit. Well, I've just been saying that, all right? If the body's distressed, the soul gets weary. And if the spirit is not in order, the soul gets the wrong messages and gets totally confused in the mind and in the emotions and in how to make choices. So it will receive, the soul will receive information from our body and our spirit and it will respond and react to both of these sources of information. All right, how does the body respond to the outside world? Let's just take one example. Our ear hears music, not our soul, our ear hears music and it winds its way around into our mind and finally our inner soul responds mindfully and emotionally to the music. We might even wish to sing in tune with it if we can or to move in rhythm with our bodies. But it starts with the body and the soul gets the message. Our spirit, now let's say our spirit sends a message to the soul. Supposing our spirit is touched by God, but it's the soul that responds and chooses to obey 
Okay? Our spirit gets touched by God. When there's a move of the Holy Spirit, it's the spirit that gets touched. And then the soul, the feelings, the emotions, the will, the choices starts to respond to this thing that's happening in the spirit. But you know, our bodies can also have a spontaneous, physical, worshipful response when that spirit, our spirit gets touched by the Holy Spirit. Weeping or on our faces before God, jubilation. I mean, you see that in when there's a move of the Spirit, but you can have it in your own life. This is a response physically from what the Spirit has done in the soul now starts to happen in the body. Or it could be it brings the body into a place of contemplative stillness and worship before the Lord. You see, what's happening in the Spirit will change the life and behaviour of the human being. That's the order of God, Spirit, soul and body. How much do we know our spirit? All right, well, I now want to tell you where the action happens in our spirit. All right, it's all written down. You don't have to remember it. But I want it out there and on record. Unlike any human being before him, Jesus had his mind and heart fully embedded in his divine spirit. It wasn't just a human spirit like other human spirits. It was the Holy Spirit of God in Jesus. So his mind and his heart were fully embedded in his divine spirit. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. His divine spirit spilled into his soul so that his thinking and feeling and willing and doing were directed by his spirit. Now we've been given that spirit now, but we've got to start off with some wreckage to clean up. Jesus was born by the Spirit and his beautiful relationship. He is still tempted in every point, but he had the connection and he's inviting us to take it. No more separation. Now humanity, try and remember what I just said, that the, the spiritual heart and mind, Jesus had that fully embodied in his spirit. Humanity originally had its mind and heart functioning between the the soul and the human spirit because there was no indwelling spirit of Christ in the Old Testament. So there was certainly a heart, there was certainly a mind and the spirit which was made in the image of God had a certain thing that it wanted to say to the soul but because there was no Holy Spirit in there the spirit would work out what it wanted to do according to who it thought it was, its own identity. It wouldn't go into a, a huge philosophical argument, but it would just spontaneously do what it wanted to do. And it would use its heart and its mind. It would bring desires of its heart. Oh, I want to do this with all my heart. Whether it's right or wrong, it's my heart, and I'm going to do it. So the heart was kind of halfway between the human spirit and the soul because the soul feels the things of the heart. It's got feelings. But since Jesus reconciled us, we can have a new spiritual reality being joined to the Lord in one spirit with him and our mind and heart, our mind and our heart find their home in our new spirit that is joined in spirit with the Lord. If that is preached and heard and believed, that becomes the new creation spiritual renewing of the mind and the new heart and the new spirit of the new covenant. 
It requires an awareness of saying, that's it. We're being renewed in the Spirit. That's the new covenant promise. In Ezekiel it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. What a beautiful prophecy, Ezekiel 36. We're also told by Paul that now we have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2. A new mind and a new heart in a new spirit. So we're being renewed in the spirit of our minds so that we can discern the will of God for our daily lives. We can get the message from God. Holy Spirit will tell us. And that's our faith in the work of the Holy Spirit within us to change us into the likeness of God. We're getting new information. Holy Spirit, our minds are being renewed. Wow, I'm starting to get revelation and understanding of new realities. I believe them. They're in the word of God. Uh, when we know that our new heart and our new mind can operate in this realm of new creation life, it means new desires will emerge in our hearts. That's where desire comes from. And new spiritual understanding will come to our minds. These are different to the natural desires of the natural heart and the natural understanding in the natural mind of the human soul. There's this formation, transformation, changeover. Swap that stupid idea for this now new wonderful truth. Now I'm thinking this way. Now new pathways are being formed even in my body and in my brain to see that this is the highway that God wants me to walk on in my thinking and in my feeling. The Bible says, it says in 1 Corinthians 6, glorify God now in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Your body and your spirit are God's. What about the soul? We're responsible for our souls. That's ours. It's God's body. He made it. It's God's spirit. It's there. But we are responsible for, for the formation of our souls. That's a big assignment. And that's what we will stand and give account to on some point. Not how good our bodies were. <laughs> so we set our new creation, hearts of faith on God. And I'll close with this. This is the, the only way I can operate from my spirit. I've got two points. It's like in a train. It stops at this station every now and again. It says, stop. I want you to look at where you've just stopped in your spirit on the journey. What's the name of this station? It's called Heart and Mind. Oh, that was the name of the station before? Yeah. There's only two. There's only one stop. It's called your heart and your mind. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll get into that then. And you stop and you think. And this is the way that I can see it working. Our new creation hearts of faith are set on God to the highest level of intent that we can. That's simple. There's no benchmark of, no, you're not reaching it. No, unless you get to 45%, you're going to have to go and do the exam again. No, this is totally, this is you playing golf with yourself. You've only got yourself that you're measuring by. Nobody else. It's you and God. So whatever you, the highest of intent that you have in your desire, in your heart, to move towards God and to know his love and live in it. That's what your heart does. There are times when all my work is on heart. Lord, I just want to know your love. I want to live in your love. Anyway, that's, that's how you go to your heart and your spirit. Go to God. And I know that my heart will never be perfect. But I know that God says, I know the measure of intention in your heart. 
and my mercy will make up for the shortfall. Get back on the train and go to the next station. You'll find it's called mind and heart. Right, I'm on my way. And we set our renewed minds of faith to fully understand how to know and to walk in his ways and believe in his supernatural work in us. But we trust in the love and mercy of God to get us home. If you've got plans, if you want to do the will of God, you've got to put your mind to it. You've got to think, you've got to get into the word of God and if, if, you, if you're able to get there and, and spend time to see how the ways of God speak to your spirit and get a renewing of your mind. But we trust in the love and mercy of God to get us home. It says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. If I'm coming to church and I have to do something like I'm doing now, a whole lot of mind has gone into it. And when I get here, there's a whole lot of mind getting into it. And I'm saying to myself, just be quiet. Just be quiet. And the Lord's saying, I'm faithful, I will do it. Who's doing it? You are, Lord. Well, what if I don't do it perfectly? Forget about that. You do what you can do. And if the Holy Spirit is bearing witness, if any of it has any truth, then the Holy Spirit will bear witness to those that hear it. It simply means that we trust the love and power of God to complete himself in us. He started it. He is faithful. He will do it. We put up our hands and say, I'm on the journey. We get our spiritually renewed minds upon God and his goodness and his ways instead of upon ourselves and our neediness. We become God conscious and not self conscious and our soul becomes healed and saved, transformed, completed and our bodies can do what they were created to do. Just do it. Amen. The Lord be with you.